Sorry, Pastor 16? Yes, the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and the book of Psalm 122. I was debating on preaching this. I wrote this sermon about three weeks ago. And I wrote it and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to scrap it. it didn't, at that time, it didn't, I didn't feel like, you know what, I'm going to preach this. You know, as I've been praying recently and after a certain incident the other day, God confirms like now I need you to preach this message. So I believe God has a timely word for us and his people this morning. So I was reading an, uh, an article written by um, another pastor. It's a, he goes on to say, there is nothing like change in one's travel plans to reveal how truly we handle change. Goes on to say, for myself, tra- traveling with my family is a sacred upset- obsession. It says, I plan ma- uh, months ahead to get to the best flights and reserve the perfect hotel to accommodate our sightseeing interests. As a family, we read travel books and blogs to find the out of the way restaurants. And with a map in hand, we embark on our journey, only to be met with forced changes that were unseen. To say the least, I don't deal with change and plans well, especially when I'm on vacation. Change for me equals stress, hassles, and more work. He says, however, there is a common saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Why I don't think, well, it says, wow, I don't think God is malicious in his laughter. I do believe he wonders why I thought I had the right to determine my course. Proverbs 16 is filled with wise sayings that give the true perspective of who is in charge of making plans. And it's true what this, what this pastor is saying. We don't like, many people don't handle change very well. Especially when we have things planned out. And we say, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then a sudden change happens. We freak out. We get stressed out. It's like you come to church and you all, or you come to church, you go to work, you have lunch in the same spot every day. And then all of a sudden you come to the break room and someone's in your chair and you freak out. Like, dude, he's sitting in my chair. Come to church, like, man, he's sitting in my chair. We don't handle change very well. And this is what he's saying. Many times A equals stress, A equals more hassle, and A equals more work. And Proverbs chapter 16 is filled with wise sayings that give the true perspective of who's in charge and making plans. So Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 tells us, and I'm reading out of the Amplified Version, tells us, A man plans his way as he journeys through life, but the Lord directs his steps and establishes them. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning, God. Lord, as we are in your presence, dear God, Lord, I pray that you would reveal what you have for us this morning, that you would open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual heart, dear God, to receive what you have, dear God. Lord, I pray that you would change the course of our life, dear God, that you would direct and set the course of our path in Jesus' name. Amen. So man here is represented to us. The scripture shows us man as a reasonable creature that has the capacity of creating or bringing about for himself many things. Sometimes even to the point to create something foolish or undesirable situations. It tells us that man plans his way as he journeys through life. We have these plans in our life. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to set about my life around this thing. But in reality, sometimes these path or this journey that we set upon our life will lead us to something foolish. Or it will lead us to an undesirable situation. And his heart, he devises his ways. He designs an end. Project ways and means leaning to that end. Which in turn are inferior to God Almighty. 
that we set these plans for our lives. We think that we're going to go about accomplishing these plans as if we determine our own life, as, we, as if to say our plans are greater than God's. But the scriptures send us that God's plans are above ours. And the plans that we set for our life are inferior to God. We as men, and I say men, I mean men and women, we as humans are governed by sense and natural instinct. We know that God's plans will ultimately dictate our life. The more shame for us, the more shame for us as humans, if we do not devise a way on how to please God and to provide for His everlasting state. It is a shame for us. What I'm trying to say is that it is a shame for us if we plan our life not according to God. Not planning our life that will please God. That our life will be pleasing to God. That God would look upon our life and say, you know what, I am pleased. And how He's directing His path. That God would not intervene and say, no, you need to go this way. That our life would not be set for our eternal state. Because we know this life is temporary. We know that this life that we're living here on earth is temporary. That we're not going to be here forever. Many times people plan their lives for here on earth, which is fine, which is great. I'm not lessening that. We plan for our 401k. We plan for retirement. We plan for all these things at the end of our career. But what about your everlasting state? What about eternity? And this is what I'm trying to say, that at the end of our life, that we have to prepare not just for here on earth, but for our eternal state, that God could look at our life and say, you know what, I'm pleased in the way he and she is living their life and what they are preparing for ahead. Because we know the human instinct is always to plan to further themselves. To further themselves in personal gain, rather to further themselves in the kingdom of God. Just talk to someone. If you talk to someone for over 30 minutes, carry a good conversation with someone. The Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When people tell me, I'm talking to someone, dude, do you only talk about God? I'm like, bro, that's all I'm filled with. That is what my life is about. Oh, it's because you're a pastor. Yes, I'm a pastor. But at the end of the day, before I'm a pastor, I am a Christian first. That is what my life is filled with. I read my word. I fill myself with the things of God. That's what naturally comes out of me. That the plans of man are to further themselves in personal gain, rather to further themselves in the kingdom of God. If you look at the King James Version... Of the scripture, it uses the word device to device, divide. So if you look up the word device in the dictionary, it means a cunning plan. It means to fabricate, to conceive, usually in a malicious sense. So we could easily read the scripture. We could easily read the scripture and says, as man plans his way as he journeys to life. We, we see this as, you know, someone just living their life. Living their regular life. But if you do a study on this scripture, it uses the word device, which means a cunning plan to fabricate, to conceive, usually in a malicious way. So, on surface level, it seems like something good, but in reality, God's saying, as man goes about his life that he's conceiving something in his mind that's malicious. Something that goes against God. That in the mind of that individual, they normally don't see it that way. They don't see it as them doing something malicious or doing something bad. They'll tell you, oh, I can't go to church because of this or that. And in their heart and their mind, they feel justified. They feel right. But the reality is... That they were conceiving something against God. 
I'm going somewhere with this, guys. Hold on. You're probably like, what is he talking about? I'm going somewhere with this, guys. Just hold on. Listen, that people tried to devise a plan that is cunning, that is convincing of themselves, even to the spouse, to family and friends. Listen, have you ever tried to invite someone to church and all of a sudden they come out with this elaborate excuse where it's kind of like, you know, that makes sense. But in reality, they're just trying to convince you. All they're trying to do is because they're convinced in their mind, they want to convince you to fall into their plan. As soon as you give into their plan, they feel justified because now they have convinced you. Maybe you've tried to talk with friends and they have this elaborate thing in their mind where they feel like, man, I'm justified. But in reality, it's malicious. Why is it malicious? Because it goes against what God has for their lives. They convince you. They, you, they convince friends. They convince family. But the reality is that God cannot be fooled. They could convince everybody of their divisive plan, but they cannot convince God. The Bible tells us God cannot be mocked. A man will sow what a man reaps. That you may convince everyone around you, but you cannot convince God. And that is the way people live their life. Conspiring their plan and convincing everyone around them. I've talked to people. I, I, I witness to everybody at work. And they tell me, no, it's because this and because that. And I'm, you know, I'm just letting them talk. You let someone talk long enough and they will incriminate themselves. So I let people talk and they're going, they're going, they're going, they're going. I'm just like, I'm like bro, how long is church? It's like an hour and a half. Three services a week. How long is that? Uh, about like six hours. Let's round it off. Let's say it's two hours. Six hours a day. How many hours do you come to work? Seventy. Come to, you come to work 70 hours, bro, faithfully. But yeah, you cannot give God six hours of your time. After he told me this whole thing about I got to do this and got to do that and all this stuff. And I was like, bro, you're convincing yourself and you try to justify yourself with God. Because we try to direct our path. We try to devise our steps. Because people want to control their lives. People want to be in control of their lives. Because the pride will not allow God to intervene in their lives. Their pride will not allow God to intervene and direct and establish their steps. Because this is what the scripture is saying. As man devises his plan or to try to fabricate his plan, tells us, but God is the one that directs his steps and establishes them. It takes God intervening in their lives to reestablish their steps. Because when people think they're in control of their life, it's asked to say, I am higher than God. God will not dictate my steps. God will not direct my steps. I control my life. I've heard many people. Have you heard anyone say that? No one, no one controls. I control my life. I do what I want. You can't tell me that. I do what I want. I used to watch South Park. <laughs> Listen, this is one of the reasons... People take their own life. Look at the suicide rate right now. It's skyrocketed through the roof. Through, through quarantine, through the whole pandemic, it has gone through the roof. One lady took her life because she lost her job. She wasn't able to fulfill the standard of her life. So she took her own life. Do you know why people do this? It's because they want to be in control. They say, you know what? No one controls me. I control my life. That they want to decide the outcome of their life. They want to feel that no one controls my life. You cannot control my life. They cannot control my life. I control my life. No one has control over me. Listen, what they need is a Holy Ghost intervention. Listen, that's what we all need. We need God's holy presence to intervene in our lives. I want to ask you this morning, can He disrupt your plans? Can God intervene in your life? 
Because we know we have set the course of our life. We say, we want to do this. I want to do this. As, a, as 21 kicked, 2021 kicked off, people began to say, you know what? This is what I'm going to do throughout the year. And many times those things are good. People to do the resolutions. Is God part of that resolution? Is one of your resolutions that you've made for the 2021, is it, I'm going to grow closer to God? My number one resolution is to lose weight. That's everybody's resolution. That should be bumped down and say, you know what, number one resolution, I want to grow closer to God. I want to experience God like never before. I want God to intervene into my life. That's when we have prayer before service. Pray. I pray, God, disrupt the service. God, that your presence would be felt. God, that you would say more than what I have to say. God, that we would feel a tangible presence in this service. Because we need you. We need you to disrupt. Because what we, what we do often is that we begin to function in what we know to do. Rather than to let God to allow God to guide us. So can God disrupt your plans? Can he establish his will before time runs out? Because we know tomorrow's not promised. We want our will to be done rather to say, God, let your will be done. That's what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. Yet that is not the prayer that many people pray. Secondly, I want to look, are you teachable? Are you teachable? You know, with pride, pride the Bible tells us before, uh, pride comes, or is it the fall comes after pride? That pride does not allow us to be teachable. But if you're teachable, what happens is that this would solidify your walk with God. So Psalm chapter 122, verse 1. Say amen if you're there. Psalm chapter 122, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let's go, let us go into the house of the Lord. You shall underline, underline this. I encourage you, underline it, put a little star. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Listen, if you're a Christian... If you're a believer, or maybe you're not a believer this morning, and you desire change, then no one should beg you to come to church. If you're someone desiring change, no one should beg you to come to church. That should be your own conviction. That should be your own desire to grow closer to God. And you should rejoice that you're able to come to church. That these doors are open. There's many places throughout the world that Christians are not able to gather. Here the scripture says, I was glad this person was happy. This is David writing this. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house. It was an invitation that was given. And this person was rejoicing because someone invited them to go into the house of the Lord. That you should rejoice when you come to church. You should rejoice. Your heart should be glad. Your spirit should be alive when you come to church. Not, oh, another service. Pastor, why do you have Sunday night service if we come to church in the morning? Why Wednesday? Why outreach? Because your soul should rejoice. As a believer, you should be happy that these doors are open. Your soul should rejoice because you're able to be in the presence of the creator of the universe. We understand God could meet you in your car. God could meet you at home. God could meet you in the break room. 
God could meet you anywhere. But there is something supernatural when God meets us here in His church. If you think about that, to be in the presence of the Creator of the universe, who spoke this this world into existence by His Word, all He said is, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the water stop at this point in the water. That everything obeyed, obeys at His command. To understand, this is the God that we serve. This is a God that is dwelling with us. I am in the presence of this holy God. When I had that understanding and that revelation, I said, God, I want to be in your presence all the time. Any opportunity that I want to be in your presence. I got filled with the Holy Ghost in my car. It wasn't in the church service. It was while I was driving, praying, laying the hold of God. I actually got pulled over that day in Balcony Heights. Those cops get you for going over two miles over the speed limit. But I was worshiping God. I was praising God. And I felt this overwhelming presence. And I began to speak in tongues. It was even before I came into this church. I was reading how they spoke in tongues. I said, God, I want that for my life. I want that. I didn't debate. And I said, God, give me that. And I prayed and I contended. I saw that the apostles in the book of Acts waited. I said, God, I want this. And I felt God's presence. I understand we could feel God's presence out there. And I say this because I felt that. But there is something else when we come into the presence of God as the body of Christ. It should be a privilege for us to come into the church. But we see it as the, the worldly mind. Oh, church, church. No, this is where God meets us. That the church of God is a sacred place. This guy was given the illustration that it's a sacred thing when they go on their vacations. But the church of God is somewhat sacred. We should see God's church. Yes, it's a building. People say, oh, the church is not the building. Yeah, I understand that. We are the church. But this is where God meets us. And we should see this as a sacred place. Because as we gather with one another, so does God with us. That God's here with us right now. That we don't see God, but we could feel God. The Bible tells us where two or more gather, He is there. He is in the midst of them. So we are here. I'm here in the name of Jesus. If your heart is in the things of God, God says, I am there with you. So Christ is here with us. If we could see God, I, without... I could see Jesus just walking throughout this place. Just walking throughout because he is pleased with his people because you've made a decision to get up in this ugly weather to say, you know what, I'm going to go to church because I want to be in your presence, Lord. The fellowship that we're having, the potluck, the food's awesome. I've tasted many people's food. It's delicious. But you know why we do that? Because we fellowship with one, one another. Because God is there with us as well. God's presence is with us. That we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, throughout the scriptures, God's temple has always been seen as holy and sacred. Look throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament. People are like, oh, I like the Old Testament. It's about God's grace in the New Testament. No, read the Old Testament. Read it. Study it. Absorb your life with God's word that your life would be indwelling with God's word. Because you realize who God's character is. You realize the miracles God did in the Old Testament. And you see how God's people saw God's temple as holy and sacred. That they attended to the, the temple's needs day, and not, day in and day out. Night and day they were there attending to the needs of the temple. And here is where God meets His people. We know, yes, we're in a new covenant. We don't have the temple. Now it's the church of God. But this is where God transforms lives. This is the vision of our church. That lives would be transformed through the power of the gospel. Yet people neglect it. Can you see God's church through the lens of God's word? Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 tells us. And many people shall go and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Listen, that's why I said, are you teachable? Because here the scripture tells us that we will go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. It says, And he will teach us his ways. If you're teachable, then you would receive God's word. Because it is in the church of God where you would be taught the laws of God. And if you're teachable, then you will walk in his path. This is what the scripture tells us. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. We know we don't live by the law. People say, oh, I live by the law. There's over 666 laws in the Old Testament. It's impossible for you to live by the law. But we're covered under God's grace now. It says, and shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That this testifies to the proverb that God establishes our steps in this path. But it is, it is on you. Will you walk in His ways or will you walk in the ways of God? That decision has to be made by you. That no one can make you choose. Someone could lead you to the Scriptures. Someone can lead you to God's Word. But at the end of the day, you have to make that decision. Am I going to walk in my ways? Am I going to walk in my will? Or God, I surrender everything to you. That's why we lift our hands in worship. When we lift our hands, it is to signify, God, I surrender to you. I'm surrendering to you, God, in worship. I want you to touch my life. I want to surrender my will to you. I want to walk in my will. I know where my ways took me before Christ. It took me to nonsense, to drugs, to addiction. To infidelity. So God, I don't want that anymore. I want your ways. I want your will to be done in my life. I surrender everything to you. Listen, when you walk in His ways, you allow yourself to be used by God. We want to be used by God. So God, use my life. But you know what? I think many people are afraid to say that. To say, God... What is my will? What is my purpose? Because in reality, they know their purpose. They know their calling. But they don't want to fulfill that. So that's why they never voice that. But when you surrender, you allow yourself to be used by God Almighty. And when you do, the glorious thing about that is that in return, you will grow a burning desire to proclaim His word. When you surrender yourself and you fill your things with God, out of the abundance the mouth speaks, God's word comes out. And this is what the scripture is saying. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. Meaning that out of God's church, will, you will go out there and you begin to preach the word to people. To testify of what God has done. To testify of God's word and his promises. We know... Saturday, we're out there outreaching, talking to these people. This person said, you know what? I never let people talk to me about God. I know my life. I know I'm living a wicked life. And I don't mean this to boast, but the, guy, the other guy was like, look at his eyes. Look into his eyes. And I'm just like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> I had my broken glasses on. He's like, no, this guy is real. He's for real about what he's saying. You know, and I respect that. Because I am real. I'm serious about God's word. Because I know the power of God's word to change people's lives. The guy said, you know what? I don't let people talk to me about God. I don't want to hear that. Come to find out, he was born Southern Baptist. He was born in the church. He knows God's word. And they responded. And, you know, they were encouraged. Like, thank you, man. Because as a matter of fact, before he came up, we were talking exactly about how our life is messed up. And here you are, God sent y'all. God sent y'all. We know this is God. We're talking about the night five minutes, and here you are showing up to our house. Hey, what are you going to do with that? Now the choice is yours. God's responded, what are you going to do? Because we have to allow God to use our lives. 
that you will grow a burning desire to proclaim His word to a lost world. You know, people are perishing. People are dying. Every, just look at the news. You see people dying left and right. But it took someone inviting you. It took someone investing the time. It took someone reaching out to you. It takes someone following up on you. And now it is on you to do the same. Because the scripture tells us, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It takes work. It takes effort. It goes back to what the pa this pastor said and his little story. God changed his plans. It takes work. It takes effort. It stresses you out at times. But you know what? It took someone inviting you. It took someone following up on you, reaching out to you. And the bit, we all live busy schedules. We're all busy. We all have our lives. And our life have, has issues. We live in the real world. That's why, yes, when I was reaching out to that, we were talking to the guy. The guy was cussing. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, bro, we live in the real world. You don't have to. I'm not one of those pastors like, hey, watch him. Do that. I'm talking to a sinner. What do I expect? It's the reality of it. But it takes investing the time, following up on someone. But this is why the scripture tells us, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You see this from the opposite perspective. This is someone receiving the invitation to come. The question is now, who will you invite? Someone invested the time in you. Now who will you invite? And who will you invest the time? The fellowship. Sometimes we know it, it takes fellowshipping with someone. When I first came into this church, like, you want a fellowship? Like, What's that? Like, you want to come over and eat? Like, go grab a burger. So I tell everyone, everybody I witness to, here's the flyer, here's my cell phone number. You want to go grab coffee? You want to get something to eat? Call me. I'll make it happen. Oh, but you're, you're I know, Pastor, you're busy and this and that. People I don't know, I know you're probably. That doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. I'll worry about that. Do you want to go get something to eat? All right, let's go. It takes the time, it takes the resources. Listen, as a new church, we'll use the resources from the church. Everything that comes in is to pay the bills, pay the light, the water, all that stuff. It comes out of my own personal pocket. So, you know what? I want to invest in someone. God, because I do this for you, God. At the end of the day, it is you who I do this for because I do it for souls. I don't gain anything out of this. The benefit is in the kingdom of God. See, one soul gets saved. God, I feel it was worth yesterday. It beginning to drizzle. And they're like, go. I was like... Yo, go, it's beginning to drizzle. My boys, man, they're, I'm worried by the time I look, they're already knocking on the next door. They're already at the next door. It's like, man, there's souls to be saved out here. But it's going to take resources, time, effort, stress to keep them walking in God's ways. The goal is that they may speak this word, that someone may speak out there and say, you know what? I was glad when they invited me to the house of the Lord. That when it comes to past, the life that is in the scripture, because we know God's word has life. God's word is alive. That the life in the scripture would be revealed to them and say, you know what, man? Praise God because someone took the time and effort to invest in me. Now I'm going to return the favor and do that. It's like at Starbucks, someone pays your coffee. It's supposed to pass it on. And there's this one time where it went on forever. You pass it on to someone. You invite someone else. And tell them, come to church. Whether you've been saved for one day or 40 years, it is the command of the Lord to go and preach the gospel. People say, oh no, I'm a new convert. Or people say, oh, I've been in the way for 40 years. Well, you need to get out of the way and let God do something in your life. That whether you've been saved for a day or 40 years, it is the command of the Lord to compel them to come into the house of the Lord. Listen, the religious world will say that you first need to learn all the scripture, that you need to read the whole Bible. That no, you got to work on yourself before you work on someone else. In the sense, I say yes, that's true, but 
at the same time, it is the job of every believer to reach lost souls simultaneously. As you're working on yourself, as you're reading your Bible, as you you got to reach other souls at the same time. Now, I first got to say, people would try to get me with script. I'm like, look, look, bro, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. But what I do know is that you need to get saved because where you're going, you're going to go to hell. I was, I was in the beginning. I was like, damn, man, I'm still like that at times. Because people are smoking to you and you got beer balls out there. Yeah, I go to church. What church you go to? Babe, what church did we go to? I'm like, this is not even know what church he goes to. And she's like, I don't know, son. What, what's that church that we go to? Little Rock on the Hill. Like, dude, you don't even know, man. Come on, man. But you know what? It is the job of every believer to simultaneously, as you're growing yourself in the things of God, to, to be out there reaching lost souls, to sharing the gospel with people at work, your family members. They might tell you, well, what? I don't know. Come to church. Right? What would happen if you're to die tonight? Where would you spend eternity? Well, I think, well, why do you think you would go to heaven? Not unless a man be born again, can he see the kingdom of God? Are you born again? Well, I was born this, that song, what's that song? I was born this way? Was it Lady Gaga or someone? Yeah, you're born that way, but you know what the Bible says? Be born again. That no one is exempt. No one is exempt. That's why people devise their path, this cunning, malicious way that they could exempt themselves from the reality. Throughout the scriptures, you saw lost souls get saved and immediately they went preaching the gospel. The demoniac, guy that was demon-possessed by a legion of demons, over 5,000 demons, what happened? He was cutting himself. He was, he was naked in the grave. What happened after he got saved? After Jesus confronted him and Jesus... Touched his life. What did he do? He went preaching. He didn't say, Oh, Jesus, I need to go to the synagogue. And I need to go to seminary school. And I need to learn all the scriptures. And then maybe I'll go show. No. He got saved. A demon-possessed person went preaching the gospel. I don't think you're in that position. You might have some demons in you, but we could go get those out of you if you have them. Listen, just because you dismiss God's word, that's what people like to do. We like to dismiss God's word. Just because you dismiss God's word doesn't mean that it does not apply to you. You cannot, you'd be a fool to think that you're dismissed from God's command. Just because you dismiss God, that doesn't mean you're exempt. You cannot cover your ears. Cannot cover your ears and say, I don't want to hear, Pastor. I've heard someone tell me, that. oh, Pastor, no, no, stop. As soon as you tell me that, I'm going to be held accountable to that. Don't tell me. I would rather not know. Dude, are you serious, bro? Are you serious? Yes, don't tell ah, I want to hear it. Ah, da, 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 I want to hear it. I'm like, dude, really? You can't do that with God's Word. You can't say, well, I'm not going to read the God's Word. because As soon as I read the Scriptures, I'm going to know the truth and I know my life is wrong. That I want to hold myself to. I want to have to hold myself to the standard. You cannot do that. You cannot dismiss God's word and then feel justified in not responding to His command. We want to push it out, sweep it under the rug, and say, "If I don't know, then I'm not held responsible." You cannot do that. You'd be a fool to think that. That is horrific to have that mindset to think that is a terrible thing. Because there are many souls out there that are perishing. There's countless lives out there that are dying. That are stepping into eternity. Yet people are so selfish and self-centered that they would just, it's about me. It's about moi. It's about my will. I'm going to close. I'm getting ready to close, guys. Bear with me. James chapter 4, uh, verse 14. Listen, and I, like I said, I wrote this about a month ago. No intentions. I just read a scripture and I was like, you know what? I'm going to write the sermon. Then I said, yeah, you know, I'm not even going to preach that. I'm going to work on something else. James chapter 4, verse 14. And then Thursday, I get a phone call. It just, just I'm like, man, 
So I was like, you know what, God? I know God spoke to me very clearly. I, I need you to preach at this, this Sunday. James chapter 4, verse 4. So don't think, oh, he's preaching because he knew I was going to be here. People say that. No. <laughs> I pray about what I preach. So verse tells us, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. This is James telling us, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. How many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? From the, from the rising of the sun to where it goes down, how many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Nobody. He tells us, for what is your life? What, it's for you to consider, what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? But the scripture sent us, consider your life. What is your life? No one's guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen at 3.30 tomorrow. It says, consider what is your life. Maybe you're successful in your life. You got this career. Your 401k is maxed out. You got retirement. You have everything set in stone. Do you think that is higher than the plans that God has for your life? What is it, the life of everyone else? Or maybe you're living on the right track. Maybe you're on the right track. Maybe you are doing the will of God. Maybe everything is, maybe God looks at your life and says, You were pleased. But what about the people around you? What about the lives around you? What about your neighbor? What about the neighbor three houses down? What about your co-workers? What about your family? Have you considered their life? And I use this because God spoke to me. You know, when I got this phone call, December the 18th, we, we had it on the calendar. We had a Christmas outreach. Everybody, December, my pastor told me, Joseph, be prepared for December. December, nobody shows up to church. Nobody. I'm like, no, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe God. Sure enough, that's what happens. Don't get discouraged. Everybody's focusing on Christmas, shopping, family time. People are on vacation. January, you'll see people come in. It happens all the time. I've been in ministry for 20 years. Never fails. And I told my friend, you know what? We're still going to set things for, for December. Whether people show up or not, we're going to do the will of God. We set up out there. You know, me, I'm just like, boom, boom, witness to people. So we put Christmas music up there. We had a table. We had hot cocoa. I told my wife, we're going to set up our little stand. And we're going to pass out hot cocoa. I was like, we're going to put jingle bells. We had Christmas. I was like, dude, I look at my wife. I'm like, dude, this is corny, man. Like, Christmas music. And then, oh, man. Me and my wife look at each other. I'm there testifying. Hey, my name's Joseph. God saved me. All that. Share my testimony. And uh, she looks at me. She's like, oh. <laughs> hey, man, we're reaching souls. That's what we're trying to do. And then, you know, Christmas. Um, you, you get the drift. It was corny. But you know what? I told my wife, you know what? God's here with us. We do this for souls. Maybe people are not. You know what? Only one person came out that day. It was a lesbian couple. You know, we're doing the will of God and this and that. And no, you're not. Sometimes you guys tell people, no, you're not. But you know what? There's hope for you. They grabbed their hot cocoa and they took off. You know, I, I prayed with one of them. She didn't even know what, what it meant to be saved. I was like, you know what? You need to be saved. Saved from what? What does saved mean? You know, I had to explain. I'm like, man, in 2020, there is 20-year-olds that doesn't, who, who are clueless to the gospel. Doesn't even know what saved is. Maybe you're hearing me this morning. You know, I don't even know what this guy's saying. He's just rambling about stuff. <laughs> you know, there's hope. That's what there's hope for your life. Long story to make a long story longer. They left. We shut everything down. It was we're done uh, up there at the corner. I had a sign. Grabbed the sign, pulled it down. It was hot cocoa. My wife did this beautiful little picture of a little smiley face hot cocoa and a little happy candy cane. Taking it off, and I see two a couple out there fighting. They're here by the smoke shop, fighting. F you and this and that. And guys like that, they're yelling, screaming. And I'm just like, oh god, like I want to walk up, but what happens if they do this on acid or tripping and just stabs me? And I'm just standing there, playing on my. I'm not even looking at anything on my phone. I'm standing there. I'm just like, just like looking at the time, and I'm like, God, and I, and I really pray this, God. Give me the opportunity to witness to them. Give me the opportunity, God. 
Nobody knows what it just me and this people are about to fight, man. I was like, dude, if he punches her, I'm gonna have to jump in. I've got to give me an opportunity. And then she turns. She's like, ask him, ask him, ask him. And I'm like, this is my opportunity. I walk over and I was like, ask him, ask me anything that you want. And the guy's like, nah, I'm good. I said, man, let me tell you, bro. Let me tell you, brother. Tell him, Jesus loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He cares for you. And just begin to give him hope. These people are broken. Okay, he's just, man, you don't talk to a woman. No, he needs hope. He needs God's love. And I begin to witness, share my tongue. And this grown man just breaks down crying. Bawling, bawling. You see him with the beard. And he's just like, tough dude, stocky dude. Tattoos and just crying, crying, crying. I'm like, come here, bro. And gave him a hug. And he's like, man, it's going to be all right, bro. Can I pray with you? He was open to prayer. And then the lady tells me, she's like, you know what's crazy? She's like, I'm like the prodigal son. I was raised in church. As a little girl, she's like, as a matter of fact, we're, we're, we are both 47 years old. I've known him since he was four years old. I know everything. My dad's a pastor. I, everything that you're saying, I already know. She's like, but look at me. Look where I'm at. Like, well, buddy, I need to come to church Sunday. Come. I was like, as a matter of fact, we have hot cocoa in there. Come. No, we got to go do some stuff. And you see this little up here right here in front of the church. You know, I pray with them, got their numbers, text them real quick. It's Pastor Joseph. And they're like, well, we'll go, we'll go Sunday. This was a Friday night. And I just see them walking up this little hill. That was it. Came in here. I was like, oh, man, I prayed with this dude, man. It was awesome. This They're watching me. Man, it was awesome. This and that. It comes, comes Saturday. Hey, man, hope to see you on church. Call them, nothing. They respond. Time goes on. You're working with other people. You forget. Forgot. Wednesday, Thursday night. I was actually talking to Samson on the phone. I just see a number. Carly and Julian. Who's that? I told her. I don't even know who that is. I ignored it. I get a voicemail. I hang up with Samson. I call the number back. And she's just crying. Crying. Pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Like, why are you sorry? I'm sorry we never went to church. I'm sorry I didn't go Sunday. I'm sorry we didn't return your call. I'm like, hey, hold on. Okay, tell me what happened. What, what's going on? You, you remember Carly? The guy's name was Carly. I was like, yes. He died. I was like, what do you mean he died? She's like, yes, on the 28th, on the 29th or the 28th, we were there on 35. Our car rolled over. He got ejected from the vehicle. He died. I was like, I'm just thinking to myself, and she's like, man, I said, you know what? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Prayed with her. Then I look up to Arco. Sure enough, they're here 35 South in your Braunfels. Speed was a factor. Drugs, alcohol is a factor. She's not able to walk for like four months. We think that we have tomorrow. We think that we have next week. And, and, you know, I'm here thinking about that. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this guy's standing before God. You know, sometimes that, it was very discouraging. I'm going to be honest. Very discouraging Friday. That Friday. No one showed up. I was like, man, God, you know what, God, you're with us. I don't waste those things because I try not to discourage other people. I say, you know what, God, you're with us. I told my wife about the pot. If no one shows up Friday, we'll have a good meal. Jesus will be with us. You know, and I was discouraged that day. I'm, a pat- I'm a human. I get discouraged. I was like, you know what, God? Here is this man standing in front of you saying, what did you do with the life that I gave you? I sent you, Joseph, seven days before you died because I knew the course of your life. You had this plan, but yet look where you're at now. You know what? And I sat there after I hung up with her. And I was like, God, you know, we know. I was like, you are using my life. Here I am. Intervene, you intervene in their life to share the gospel with this person because the way his life was going, he wasn't going to make it. If he would have got saved that Sunday, came to church, been living for God, he would have been alive. He would have been here. Countless testimonies I've heard. You know, and I was thinking, I was talking to my pastor about that. He was like, dude, imagine if he was tripping on meth or he was tripping on something like that. And eternity, he's probably... And eternity thinking he's on a bad trip. 
He's probably thinking like, man, I want this trip. To... I've been on a bad trip. I've been on a bad trip, and I'm just like, dude, I want this to stop. Eventually it stops, but hey, I'm just out there, dude. I used to do some crazy stuff. Do Xanax. I've done meth. I've done ice. I've done ice. Done Vicodin, done all that stuff. I've done inhalants. I've been on some bad trips. And to think, man, this dude's probably an eternity tripping bad, thinking this is going to, but it's never going to stop. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's what he says. Consider your life. I'm going to close with this. God that wisely left us in the dark concerning future events. Even concerning the duration of life itself. We know not what should be on the morrow. We may know what we intend to do and to be. But a thousand things may happen to prevent us. We're not sure of life itself since it is but a vapor. Something in appearance but nothing solid or certain. Easily scattered and gone. We can fix the hour and minute of the sun's rising and its setting tomorrow. But we cannot fix the certain time of a vapor's life. Such as our life. For it appears for a little time, then it vanishes away. It vanishes as to this world, but there is life that will continue in the other world. And since this life is so uncertain... It concerns us all to prepare and to lay up in store for what is to come. I like every head bowed, every eye closed in the, pre- in the presence of God this morning. With every head bowed, every eye closed, in reverence to God, no one moving around. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning, you have set the course of your life to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I have planned for my life. Yet never considering God's plan, never considering God's will. James tells us our life is but a vapor. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. The reality is that there's many people out there saying, oh, I'll go Sunday. I'll go Wednesday. And I, and I began to ponder this as this lady was speaking these words to me because here I am. I always invite everyone. Text people, call people, ignore my calls. They block my number. And it's like, dude, tell me, oh, I'll go Wednesday. Don't come Wednesday. Oh, I'll go Sunday. What makes you think that you have Wednesday guaranteed. What makes you think that you have Sunday guaranteed? What makes you think that you even have this afternoon guaranteed? You say, you know what, God? I'll be serious with you. I'll come back tonight, God, and get my life right with you. What makes you think that we have this evening? Listen, can God disrupt your life? Can God change the plans that you have set for your life? Are you able to surrender your life to God? Say, God, you know what? I haven't considered my life. That this life on earth compared to eternity is minuscule. That it, it cannot even compare to the glorious eternity with you. So I want to change the course of my life. I want to be in your presence. I want you to be with me, God. I want you to establish my steps. Direct my path. Be the light unto my feet. Maybe this morning, you're not right with God. If you were to ask yourself where you would spend eternity, and maybe your answer is like, you know what, God? It is hell. I'm on the road to hell. But you know what? There's hope for you. Christ can change that. Christ can redirect your path. He could put you on the path that's going to lead to salvation. That is you lost without God. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ 
this morning just with an uplifted hand as a sign to God. So you know what, God, that is me. Praise God. God sees those hands. Anyone else in this place, you could put your hand down. Honest decisions in this place. Maybe you know God. Maybe you've diverted from His path. You want to say, God, I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to give you my life once again, God. I'm not where I should be. Because I know in my heart I am wrong. If you want to reestablish your walk with God, rededicate your heart to Jesus Christ. Just with an uplifted hand as a sign to God, saying, God, that is me. Anyone in this place. Remember, tomorrow is not promised. This evening is not promised. Praise God. God sees that hand. Honest hearts. That is what God is looking for. God wants honest, willing hearts. God could use that. God cannot use a heart filled with pride, filled with resistance. God's looking for honest hearts. If you lifted your hand, or not, I'm not trying to bear. I want you to come to the front. I want to pray with you this morning. Come to the altar. If you like, you could space out however you like. Listen, we cannot neglect this opportunity. This is what this is about. That honest hearts would come to make a decision for the kingdom of God. And we cannot neglect the altar call. This is where God will alter your life for the good. There would be a change in your life. And once you leave the presence of God this morning, once you leave the church, as you go on to your life, Whatever you lay at the cross, don't pick it back up. You lay everything at the feet of Jesus. But what we tend to do is we pick up the burdens and we carry them once again. We leave it at the cross. So you know, Jesus, I'm going to leave everything before you. I'm going to leave everything at your feet, God. I want the peace. I want to reestablish my life with you. I want an eternity with you. That you could go to bed tonight and say, you know what? I know where I would be if you were to return. I want you to lift your hands before the throne of God. It's a sign of surrender. To, and repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus I, come before your throne. I come before your throne. I acknowledge I, acknowledge I, am, a I am a sinner. And I need, and I need a, savior. a Savior. And I acknowledge, and I acknowledge you, are you are my Savior. You died on the cross. You, on the cross. you shed your blood. And you rose on the third day. You overcame death. And I give you my heart, my mind, my soul to your kingdom. And I surrender my will to yours. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before your throne, dear God. Lord, I pray for my brother, dear God, right now in the name of Jesus, dear God. Lord, I pray for my sister, dear God. Lord, that you would help her right now, dear God. I bind every strategy of hell right now, dear God. Lord, I pray, dear God, right now for my sister, that you would help her, dear God, right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray, dear God. Lord, so no In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I encourage you, kneel right here at the altar. Come before God's throne. Pray. Allow God to minister to your heart. These altars are open for the rest of us. We're going to stand at our feet as we sing this song. These altars are open. I encourage you to come. Come to the altar and pray. Yes, Lord, we thank you, dear God. Lord, we worship you, dear God. Never.